We are the church, a cathedral of grace, built of living stones, each bearing a gilded gift of the spirit, offered for God's glory. Perhaps it's healing, wisdom, or prophecy. We might be tempted to say, my gift's better than your gift. But pride plays no part here, unless it's God's. Since these holy talents were plucked from the treasury of his own spirit, the best we can do is bear them humbly and be ready to provide them at the point of need. In Cana, even Jesus waited until the wedding party ran out of drink before transforming water into wine. The truth is, he could have done that at any time. But God designs a moment and place for every gift of grace he bestows. Let us each receive our gift, whatever it may be, and look to the God of mystery for further instruction. Well, Nikki already gave us scripture this morning, most definitely. But I'm going to read it from 1 Corinthians and from John 2. And if you would like, I invite you, for some of you who would like to stand for the reading of God's word, feel free. Always open. 1 Corinthians. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestations of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another, a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. And from John. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. 
Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Of church life, the epiphany, the appearing, is a season to remember the ways in which God appears to us, the ways in which God reveals God's self to us. Last week we looked at the mystery of baptism and how, how God works in those murky waters. This Sunday we look at spiritual gifts as another way in which God appears to us, speaks to us, confides in us, directs us. <clears throat> if you were thinking uh, when you read Word on the Street, and I know you all did this week, um, if you were thinking when you read Word on the Street that you would get uh, an exposition in detail about each of the spiritual gifts and your particular spiritual gifts, uh, that's not going to happen this morning. Sorry. Because when we talk about spiritual gifts, we tend to move immediately like there's some kind of personality inventory. And what's my spiritual gift and and then how do I fit in? And, and that's the way I'm going to be for the next 50 years in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Amen. Uh, great adventure in missing the point. Because the spiritual gifts that we want to talk about are the ways in which God surprises us. The aha moments of God working in us and through us and with us and sometimes in spite of us. And I think that story in modern idiom is best told in a novel from the early 70s. Richard Adams's book, Watership Down. Now, my college English professor was really glad I didn't major in English. Uh, but uh, I couldn't help but notice how, in so many ways, Watership Down's a parable of the church. It's the story of a group of rabbits. Uh, rabbits uh, hop around and get into all manner of mischief. That sounds like church. Um, it's the story of a group of rabbits who've come to believe the vision of one of them. One of the members of the Warren has a vision that they're doomed if they continue to live there. And so they have to find a new home. And so some of the members of the Warren believe the vision and they begin a journey together. 
And as this band leaves its worn behind and goes through the perils of finding a new home, throughout that journey, various members of this band of bunnies step up and save the day. It's not always the one leader. It's not always Hazel. It's other bunnies who step up and who save the day. And I think it becomes for us a parable of the church in that, in that we are to be this multi-voiced community, this body of believers. I get the wonderful privilege of spending my time and, well, frankly, a lot of your money to read scripture, to study it, to meditate on it, and to proclaim it. And I am grateful beyond words for that gift. It's the gift of a lifetime to be able to have the, the time and space to wrestle with the biblical text and in that wrestling share that with you. But that's, I mean, let's face it, you know, from a, from a spiritual gift inventory standpoint, that, that's pretty much all I've got. You know, as, as a pastoral counselor, I'm a pretty good urban missiologist. I, I, we are to be a body that shares in ministry together. I get to do a piece of that. But if I'm doing all of it, we've missed the point. And that's part of the story of Watership Down. That if it had been solely up to Hazel, the rabbit, the rabbits would have never left the warren and gone on the journey together because somebody else had the vision. Hazel just believed it first. And sometimes that's really all you've got as a pastor is that you believe God's vision first and other people begin to come alongside that. Our texts this morning teach us a bit about spiritual gifts. The, the first text from 1 Corinthians 12 is Paul's teaching about spiritual gifts. He begins with a section where he tries to unpack how we discern spiritual gifts together. He talks about his hope and purpose. He doesn't want the Corinthian church to be uninformed. Now, this was a pretty uninformed church when it came right down to it. I mean, they're a mess. They're this little community in the big city, who, who, who are messing up. I mean, read the first 11 chapters of 1 Corinthians, and you go, holy cow, how did, that church even, how did that church even stay together? How come the bishop didn't step in and fire everybody? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's dysfunctional. And Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed. And so he begins to talk about not the technique of knowing your spiritual gift or the inventory you need to take to discover your spiritual gift. He talks about Jesus. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed. Jesus is Lord. That's at the core of any conversation about spiritual gifts is do we understand Christ to be at the center? Do we understand Jesus as our Lord? Is he in charge? Or are we trying to figure out 
kind of whatever makes me feel great about being an individual in postmodern Western society. It's Paul's driving back to this Christological center, which is Paul's trait over and over again. Don't let anybody fool you that, that there's Jesus in the New Testament and then there's Paul who kind of mucks it up. Paul is the first and best interpreter of the Jesus story. And he interprets Jesus yet again as the author of spiritual gifts. They flow out of the fact that Christ is Lord. Spiritual gifts are pointless if Jesus isn't in charge. And it's after he makes that point that he begins to talk about distribution of spiritual gifts. And, and, and he begins that conversation with what I would call, I'm sorry, big word time, the dialectic between gifts and giver. There are many gifts, but the same spirit. There are many ways to serve, but the same Lord. There's a diversity of ways in which we live out Christ's call on our lives. Again, don't let anybody fool you that there are only 12 spiritual gifts in the New Testament. There are hundreds of spiritual gifts. Uh, as I look over this congregation this morning and realize the kind of racial and ethnic diversity we're experiencing in this congregation, that's a spiritual gift. The fact that we are continuing to be open to diversity is a sign of the Spirit in our midst, at work in us and through us. There are many gifts. Don't box God in to a certain list just because Paul or Peter use them as examples because there's only one Lord. And when we say one Lord, we, we confess that he's in charge. So if he gives you a spiritual gift, it's a spiritual gift. So there's this dialectic of gifts, many gifts, one giver. But the common purpose is the common good of the body. The common good of God's people for the purpose of God's mission in the world. We cannot be a people who welcome the redemptive work of God, Paul is saying, unless we are people who are open to the spiritual gifts that God gives us. And so Paul then unpacks a set of examples. But he closes by reinforcing the point that there's only one gift giver, the Spirit of God. All this ties back at the end of Paul's teaching that spiritual gifts come to us from a sovereign Lord who loves us, whose son died for us, and who calls us to be part of his mission, to redeem the world, to welcome the world that he's redeeming. Spiritual gifts get demonstrated then in John chapter 2 in our gospel reading today where Jesus demonstrates a spiritual gift. <clears throat> he does so in the midst of a challenging circumstance. There's a wedding in a small village. Now, we might think 
Good Westerners. Okay, the wine ran out. Everybody go home. Go home. Honeymoon's ready to start. Get out of here. We're done. Goodbye. But that's not how it worked in first century Palestine. If the wine ran out before the guests left, that was an offense. That was, was a loss of face in a, in a village where everybody knew each other and everybody knew each other for generations and you couldn't afford to lose face. It was it would be a point of shame if you ran out of wine at a wedding. Are you kidding me? That's like running out of food at a church potluck. It just isn't done. <laughs> I mean, you quickly become labeled if you're the church that runs out of food at a church potluck. And, and so Jesus and Mary are trying to find a path here. And, and they have this, you know, kind of mother-son conversation. Jesus, do something. Oh, are you kidding me? It's not my time yet. I'm, I'm, I'm really not in the mood to perform a miracle. I'm, I'm not in the mood to exercise my spiritual gifts. Well, Mary sets him up. She goes to, she goes to the servants and says, do whatever he says. Typical mother. What? Do whatever he says. <clears throat> and so Jesus finally, you know, has an oive moment. And he has the ceremonial jars, 20 to 30 gallons each, 180 gallons of water. Now, Palestine's a dry land. And that meant going to the village well and pulling up 180 gallons of water. That's a lot of water. I mean, the, the servants are probably thinking, Jesus is a little bit crazy. Why would you, in the middle of the day, in the middle of a, a wedding crisis where we've run out of wine, why would you go pull 180 gallons out of the village well? That's just, that's just boneheaded, Jesus. People are going to get thirsty, and they're going to need that water later. Somehow in the moment, it gets transformed into wine. And as we read the text, not just, not just any old wine, not just two buck chuck, but really good stuff. You know, the kind of stuff Craig keeps in his wine refrigerators. <laughs> He's not here this morning, so I can, I can pick on him. And, and everybody's stunned that at the end of the wedding, you know, at the end of the celebration, the best stuff comes out. That's usually not what happens. Usually we wait for the end when everybody's, you know, a little tipsy, having a good time. You know, that you bring the crummy stuff out. That's what gets people to go home. <laughs> not, not running out of wine, but getting out the bad wine. It's all backwards. It's all Wait for it upside down. Like the kingdom that Jesus is going to announce. The miracle at Cana announces an upside down kingdom. An upside down way of looking at priorities. An upside down way of doing things. Grounded in a spiritual gift. And we read that the miracle's purpose is to reveal God and for the disciples to believe. 
and that both things happened at that wedding. A village celebrating an obscure wedding, tipsy after three days, family about to lose face, and it becomes a moment, a moment where people begin to see the Spirit of God at work. That's the purpose of spiritual gifts, to see God at work and to believe. God's glory appears to the world through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the God-endowed abilities that further God's mission of redeeming the world. And so there are in Paul's teaching and in Jesus' practice at least five things I think we can learn about spiritual gifts First, gifts bind us to Christ, the center. And I use that word bind deliberately. We live, we live in such a world where people can say, well, I'm, I'm spiritual, but I'm not really religious. And I think spiritual but not religious is a great adventure in missing the point. Freelance spirituality is just that. You're on your own. What makes Christianity distinct and different and unique and powerful is that it is, and I will use the R word, it's a religion. Religion comes from the Latin word religio, which is where we get the English word ligament. A ligament is that which binds you. Randy knows a thing or two about how knees are bound together now. And without ligaments, it's hard to walk. Without being bound to each other, it's hard to follow Jesus. Spiritual gifts bind us to Christ and in doing so, bind us to one another. Spiritual gifts aren't for us to stand on the stage and perform whatever our spiritual gift is. It's for us to bind ourselves to Christ and one another, to be bound to Christ and one another. In the same way a ligament binds our shoulder together so we can throw or our knees together so that we can walk, spiritual gifts bind us so that we can be disciples. Second thing is gifts are always plural God's mission is always singular. God has a focus in creation, and that's to redeem it, to restore what was in Eden, an intimate relationship between creator and creation. God seeking to restore that. And he took a great step through Christ, who in his death and resurrection broke down the dividing walls and offered all of us a path to peace. God's mission is singular in the world to, to redeem creation. Our gifts are plural because those gifts all support that singular mission. Whether we have the gift of tongues or interpretation of tongues, whether we have the gift of miracles or the gift of administration, whether we can preach and teach 
or whether we can pray and intercede. Whatever our spiritual gifts are, they support that mission of God redeeming the cosmos back to himself. Third, the gifts are most necessary in times of challenge and stress. It took a family about ready to be publicly shamed and an elbow from Mary into Jesus' ribs for the first miracle to take place in Christ's ministry, for his spiritual gifts to come out. Our spiritual gifts are most necessary in those times of challenge and stress. When we get challenged and stressed, that's when we, that's when we think, that's when we tell ourselves that, oh, well, God is distant. No, this is when God is most present in us. It's when his gifts are most alive in us. It's when he's most at work through us. When we're in the midst of those stressful and challenging times. Gifts are then expressions, fourthly, of love and truth that are offered in the moment. Jesus, Jesus turning water into wine wasn't just a favor. It was, it, it was, it was an act of love. It was an act of love to a whole village. It, it literally kept that village together because seriously, not having, running out of wine would have been a divisive, damaging experience to the relationships in that village. Try running out of food at a church potluck and find out how people point fingers at each other. <laughs> I thought you were going to bring your fried chicken. I thought you were going to bring dessert. It happens. And what Jesus did in that moment was a, it's an act of love. And it was an act of truth-telling. That it's important for the village to stay together. That, that's, that there's a truth in that. <coughs> that community is a good thing. A valuable thing. A necessary thing. Jesus, in offering his spiritual gifts, expressed love and truth in the moment. And that's what our spiritual gifts do. They, they express God's love and the truth of the gospel in the moment. And finally, gifts reveal God's glory and invite us to believe. Gifts are, in that sense, evangelistic because they proclaim the gospel by our actions, by our skills and abilities and assets and capacity, focusing in on the moment with God's grace and transforming the situation. So this morning, some questions for us to reflect on. How do your skills, abilities, assets, and capacities, how do your gifts bring you closer to Jesus? How do your spiritual gifts bind you ever closer to Christ, the center? How do your skills and abilities, assets, and capacity welcome the world that God's redeeming? How do they invite 
Redemption. How do they invite the outpouring of grace? And how are your skills and abilities, assets and capacity, acts of love and truth in the moment? In Watership Down, there's a Christ figure, a, a rabbit with silver ears, whose name I cannot pronounce. I've been trying for a week to figure out pronunciation, and I still don't have it publicly, so I'm not even going to try. But Stanley Hauerwas, who writes this powerful essay about the church as a parable and the church as a narrative and uses the novel Watership Down as a way to communicate that parable and narrative, he writes at the end of that essay, like the Christ figure in Watership Down, our prince, Jesus, was defenseless against those who would rule with violence. He had a power, however, which the world knew not, for he insisted that we would form lives together by trusting in truth and love to banish the fears that create enmity and discord, that we would exercise our spiritual gifts. To be sure, we have often been unfaithful to his story, but that is no reason for us to think it is an unrealistic demand. Rather, it is a means we must challenge ourselves to be the kind of community where such a story can be told and manifested by a people formed in accordance with it. For if you believe that Jesus is the Messiah of Israel, then, and he quotes from the book here, then everything else follows, doesn't it? Spiritual gifts teach us, reveal to us, make an epiphany of the story of Jesus, and in doing so, call us to deeper discipleship, to greater expression of truth and love and grace. And we become God's co-creators of a new world, a world that he's redeeming and that we're welcoming, a world transformed because we exercise our spiritual gifts. Thanks be to God for his word.